Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller, and I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hello, Don. How are you, J.J.? Fantastic. How are you? I'm terrific, especially today, because this is one of the most fun interviews we've ever done. I know. (laughs) Because we actually have a musician, and I love it when we have musicians, because they bring their guitars, and they break into song. Mm -hmm. But this guy is a genius. Beyond. (laughs) I I first heard of him in Pittsburgh because I have a buddy, Steve Mokler, who is an up-and-coming musician. Actually, Steve just toured with Willie Nelson a little bit ago, so he's excited. And this morning, laying in bed, my wife was like, Steve is doing a duet with Willie Nelson. I'm like, our Steve is doing a duet with Willie Nelson? You tell Willie not to hurt him. But uh, So that was awesome. But I went to see Steve, and Steve was playing with his buddy, Luke Laird. Uh-huh. And, you know, Luke is a nice enough guy, good-looking guy, seems really competent up there. They're both kind of doing singer-songwriter in the round, yeah. just two guys. And I've realized every song Luke played, I knew. And I'm not a big country music guy, but yeah. I could sing every one, every of, the one of his songs. Yeah. And you slowly realize this is the songwriter behind... Carrie Underwood, Eric Church, Blake Shelton. Yeah. This is the guy writing the hits. <laughs> yeah. JJ, he's had 23 number one Unreal. country songs. Unreal. 23. Yeah. You know, there's a genius to writing beautiful songs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's another kind of genius to being able to write just the songs that you know yeah. the public is going to love this one. Yes. And there's like a science to it. Yeah. Have you heard of the song, uh, My Hometown? I have. What did that make you think of when you... My hometown. Me too. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. How he could a, write a song called My Hometown. You yeah. think about your hometown, not yeah. his? Well, that you want it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what he talks about in the song. You see your high school yeah. football stadium. You hear the roar of the crowd. Actually, nobody ever roared because we never scored. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was our mantra. Yeah, yeah. We never roar because we don't score. <laughs> Pontoon. Yes. He tells the story of writing that song. Yeah, which you, I love. Yeah. And I have been on a pontoon. <laughs> and it feels exactly like that song. Like, that's the thing about that song. Like, actually, when it first came out, it kind of annoyed me because I'm like, really? We're going to do a song about pontoons now? That's happening? Yeah. And then I could not stop singing it. And it's stuck in and your head. It reminds me of every time that I was on a pontoon. And it makes you want to get yeah, on one. Yeah, oh, yeah. And with a beer koozie in my hand. I mean, it just like... It goes there. He made it okay for all of us to ironically rent a pontoon boat every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. We're being ironic because <laughs> the song. Right, right. And we have to play the song. We have the song. We have to put it on the on the radio. Drink in my hand, Eric Church. Yeah. Anyway, he's going to play those. You go, I don't know if I... You will. Just yeah, listen. as soon as you hear it. Yeah, we're going to curse you forever. It doesn't matter if you love country or not. You know these songs. Yeah. And what I love about it is always we focus on the sort of business aspect of whatever art we have mm-hmm. on. You know, if it's an artist or an actor or a songwriter or whatever. We talk about how they monetize this thing yeah, and what the life is like of making money as a songwriter. Yeah. And uh, Luke was able to go there because he is a business guy along with being a songwriter. Well, I think for a lot of our listeners too, they have an idea in their mind of something they want to do. For some people, it is kind of as wild as I would like to yeah. like number one hits. But for some people, it's like, no, I just want to create a business that sells this thing that I make as a hobby. Yeah, Or I'm really good at talking with people and counseling them. I'd like to create my own practice. And they have these big dreams and we don't know how to begin. And the thing about him is he did not set out to be a number one songwriter. He set out to be a songwriter. 
Yeah. And he just started writing. And he even says in there, if you get up every day and write songs, you're a songwriter. You know, it's the same thing. I'm sure a lot of people come to you and go, basically, how do I write a number one book? <laughs> and, and you go, and I've heard you talk yeah. with people and go, you get up every day. Yeah, how do you and eat you an write. elephant, right? Yeah, yeah how you, do you become you a writer? Day. You write. Yeah. And I think for me, it reminded me in this space that we have so many people who have these big dreams and they want to impact the world with their business. And the reality is, is you have to get up every day and whether it's this giant creative thing or this structured formulaic kind of movement forward, you do it. And yeah. once you start doing it, you become that. And you will get better and better. Yeah, then and you also pays learn more about you yourself. For it, and, and then you go, well, okay, I can make a little money doing this. Yeah. And then, you know, very similar to our interview with Drew Holcomb, where he's just like, I got paid for it. And then yeah. like, they, they paid me for this. And pretty soon you're a professional at it. And a lot of people want to jump into that highest tier. How do I get there? Well, you yep. get there one step at a time. It's just yep. like climbing a mountain. And Luke takes us through the steps of that. But I love that angle on this interview, JJ, that idea of everybody has something they wish they could get paid for. Yeah. And songwriting is one of those things. Yeah. Nobody goes, well, this is a very sensible career, son. I yeah. think you should be a songwriter. <laughs> yeah. Even though you were going to be... Pa, I'm moving to Nashville. <laughs> I was going to be an orthodontist, but you know the big money's in songwriting. <laughs> That's the secure money. Yeah, secure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, not only that, but we get to hear some really great music because yeah. he was willing to share some of his talent with us and play us some of these songs. I actually asked him at one point, stepping away from the hits, you know, what's the song that healed your heart that you wrote? And yeah. it's the one that means a lot to you. And he goes into it on that one too. But our interviewee this week is Luke Laird. And if you've never heard of him, you've definitely heard his music. This guy knows how to write hit songs. And so our gift to you today, Mr. Luke Laird. Luke, thanks for joining us. Sure. <laughs> I was like sitting here with these headphones on like I've never had a pair of headphones on in my life. It's like, oh yeah. No, thanks for having me. You're the guy that everybody's heard your songs, but they don't know it's you. They don't know it's you that's writing them. Man. How does, I want to know how that feel. It actually feels pretty good. Although living in Nashville, there's a lot of those guys. <laughs> well, I, I wondered about it because are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Introvert for sure. So then you get kind of the best of both worlds because... It's kind of like being a book writer. People really don't recognize you right. when you write a book. But you're even one step. You get you get all everything that you'd want from fame and fortune <laughs> without the things that an introvert doesn't want from fame and fortune. Is that kind of how it works? Oh, yeah. I always say I'd be a horrible, like, famous musician artist because they would just think I was mean. People I wouldn't want to <laughs> I wouldn't want to do the meet and greets. I would, And it's not that I don't like people, but it just kind of wears me out. Yeah. But I will say, living in Nashville, it is funny because people every, do recognize you in this everywhere town. you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, the coffee shop, the movie theater, there are songwriters, and randomly somebody will say, "Hey, are you Luke Laird?" And I th always joke with my wife, I'm like, "See, you know, I'm really well known." <laughs> only in Nashville would anybody. A TSA agent did it to me one day. It's kind of like in Silicon Valley when they're like, "Oh, did you did you code that piece of software?" That I love that software. That's <laughs> awesome. Mean, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Well, you got started a long time ago, but you did a little touring with Brooks and Dunn. You, mm -hmm. you became their tour manager. That was early on. This week is your 23rd number, different number one song. Yes. Which, is that the um, most of anybody? You had like the Guinness World no, Record no, no, for no, most? No, 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 no. There's, there's guys who have more than that. Are you serious? Yeah. They've I mean, written more than 23. There's a few, few out there that have... That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, to strike gold that many times yeah no it's it's surreal it's hard to believe well back in the day you were tour managing for brooks and dunn yeah and is that 
where it all started. I'm trying to look at you know just at your Wikipedia page and figure out sure. where it all started. How did it all you start with you when I want to do this? Well, even saying I was a tour manager, that that actually is very nice of you to say. But really, <laughs> I was the tour manager's assistant, which. I could come up with a lot of other terms. Were you the tour manager assistant or the assistant to the, the tour assistant manager? The assistant to the regional manager, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it was a great experience because, well, first of all, those guys were great to work with. And at that time, too, they were literally one of the top tours in the country. Yeah. So I got to learn about the whole live touring side of the music business, which I've always loved music. But, you know, when you're in town here doing what we do, you don't always get a taste of what that whole thing is because it's a whole different business yeah really was it, I wa- was it a pleasant revelation oh, yeah. of what it is or, or did you grew up in pennsylvania i did you, did a you little, dream of being a songwriter early on i did i i've always made up songs i didn't really know that that was a possibility until i visited nashville like the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school and i saw oh, wow. songwriters like real songwriters singing these songs at the bluebird cafe that i had heard on the radio and that's kind of like when it all clicked did you want to be a, a famous recording artist and you settled no. for songwriting I, like i enjoyed in. playing in front of people and doing some of that but i never had that burning passion to oh yeah. i want to be on stage i didn't get the same name. feeling from that as i did from the doing the creative part right okay so but yeah, once I saw that there was, it was actually people who doing do. it. Yeah, I was like, I've got to move there. And did you have some romantic notions of what songwriting was like, and then you, you realized it wasn't like that, or has it all kind of been? I'm picturing you backstage at Brooks and Dunn, yeah. where you going, I want to write that song. Yes, but you never said I want to be them. You said I want to write that song. Yeah, I I, I really did. And that's um, crazy. And so when we would we would be touring, we'd pretty much be out like Thursday to Sunday. And when we were on the road, I'd get up really early and try to work on a song. And then when I was in town during the week, I was playing open mic nights, writer nights in Nashville and trying to get meetings with publishers. How does the songwriting business work? Well, in Nashville, well, or anywhere, the way a songwriter, the business of writing, getting paid to write songs is, first of all, you have to know the right people to get your songs to... so. Ideally, you and those people have to know you and trust you, or they're not even going to take you. Right, new writers, kind of like we were talking before. New writers will ask me, "What do you, you know, what's the secret, or is it about networking?" It's like some of that, but the reality is, if you want to be a songwriter, you just write songs. Like, don't talk about it. You don't have to go all these seminars to learn how to meet so and so. You, the best thing you can do is wake up in the morning and just write. Yeah, and then, obviously, if I was just sitting in my little town in Pennsylvania, it's pretty hard to make something happen i guess it you know more likely now with the internet and everything but you come to nashville and i still say nashville is like one of the last places i mean you really can if you have the goods you will get discovered because there's only so many it's still a pretty small town and community of writers and if you when the new ones come to town that are really good word of mouth spreads really fast and there's a few writer nights in town that are pretty easy to get plugged into but Again, it's it's so not if you, just if you've been easy. writing songs here for ten years and you haven't had anything recorded, you're probably just not very good. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, at some point you got to also look in the mirror, and <laughs> you know, you got to be able to take criticism for sure. I, I've taken lots of it and hear no a lot of times. All right, so you start writing songs, mm-hmm. and what's the difference between you? When was your first number one hit? It was about 10 years ago, 2007. Wow. So this has been, I mean, once you hit the number one the first time, you kept duplicating that effort. And I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I think about it, it's like, in a way, it's that part has kind of happened fast. I mean, I was writing for many years before that, but, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, hits on the radio. 
Take me back then. to those early writing days, first mm-hmm. several songs that you wrote. Yeah. What's the difference between you then sitting down to write a song and you now? And I can only parallel it to early on in my writing career. Right. I really thought I was John Steinbeck and I was trying to write a great piece of sure. art. And then as you get involved in publishing and you mm-hmm. write books and you sell them, you realize, well, this is what works. This is what... Right. The publisher's looking for so they can make money. And it's not that you're sure. a sellout. Right. You just understand it's not this, I'm going to wake up and be an artist today, though there right. are people who are like that. Sure. But it, that's not how I thought. I know for me, well, first of all, there's a lot of similarities as far as the creative process. But I think over time, you pick up certain things that may work or not work that you're not even consciously thinking about. But when you've done it so much... I just say your radar changes, like as far as knowing what's good or bad or what works or doesn't, certain things, you know, probably like an athlete that, like a basketball player that works on a jump shot, there may be more thought into what he's doing at the beginning, but after a while it just becomes, yeah, it like, gets intuitive. it's a habit, yeah, and I think there's things like that with writing, now it's also, you know, the scariest thing is the blank page, and the hardest thing to come up with is the idea, Right. Once you have a good idea, then I almost feel like I've won because then it's just like having fun, like trying different ways to get there. But if you don't have that initial idea, you you know, you just write yourself into corners. And I want to get to that. I yeah. want to get to some of these ideas, how you came to them, because you're going to play a little bit for us. Sure. But before that, you know, there's a bunch of business leaders. Mm-hmm. They're wondering how your yeah. business works. Like, you know, what's your revenue streams? Yes. So how does a songwriting business work? Because a lot of people don't realize that when Brooks and Dunn or Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. whoever goes out and sings a song that somebody else wrote, person who wrote it is actually getting a big chunk of the money. The ownership of the song is publishing, and that's what you want to have a piece of. So the way, for me, as a just plain and simple, the way I make the most money writing is if a song is on the radio, because there's two different types of income. There's mechanical revenue and performance revenue. Mechanical is the units sold, or like if a song sold on iTunes. So obviously, as we all know, that's obviously gone down drastically and you know since the internet and streaming and that's a whole ever-changing thing and that actually could come back up but performance revenue is like anything that's performed on the radio so like if a song is picked as this radio single and it gets aired once it's on a hit it's millions of times so those songs that you hear on the radio make way more than a song that's just an album cut Hmm. so for me being a commercial songwriter, I am trying to write hit songs because that's how I make my living. If I just wrote songs that were album cuts on, even if it was a great album cut, it'd be really hard to keep a job or keep this as my soul. So you're not waking up going, I want to express myself today. I mean, it just... <laughs> is there some of that or is it... Well, ideally, I kind of incorporate both. both of the... Yeah, because it's hard to force something. It comes through in the music, but I actually like commercial music, so... I don't feel like I'm selling out when I'm trying to write a hit. Like, I want to write something that people sing along to. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. have those other songs, too, that are maybe what people consider more artsy and are, you know, maybe not as much of like a hit in your face that I still love, but I just know, realistically, they're probably not going to be a big income earner. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because early on I wanted to be Steinbeck, and then when I discovered formulaic storytelling and that part of the craft. I really mm-hmm. admired guys like James Patterson who are cranking out crime novels. Oh. And a lot of people, oh, he's not a real writer. He's working as a team. He's got, but they don't understand 
the art form of actually coming up with oh. the plot and working with a team to do it. It's a different, it's an Andy Warhol mm-hmm. style of doing work. And it, it, to me, it's fascinating. Well, I think anytime too, that something appeals to the masses, there's always going to be those people who, and honestly, I found in songwriting, it's a lot of like newer writers. I know I went through that phase when yeah. I'm beginning, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just easy to say, well, that stuff on the radio is crap or whatever. And sure, a lot of it is, but it's no different than it's always been. When something appeals to the mass general yeah. public, then all of a sudden it it's not back. cool or whatever. But I'm like, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I want to be part of that. And I love lots of music that's never going to be played on the radio. I mean, I have so many different influences that I bring into my music, but I've got no problem writing something that makes a lot of money. I saw your show in Pittsburgh at the Hard Mm -hmm. Rock Cafe where you grew up. You grew up in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And you tell a story about writing a song, and I think it's still a hit right now, but you talk about how, you know, one of the things you want to think about is the audience singing it back to you or the audience singing along. So if you make the words too complicated... They're not going to sing it back. And I think the lyrics that you wanted them to sing back were, hey, hey, ho, ho. <laughs> you were like, well, yeah, nobody's like, going to well, forget about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's funny the songs, too, that get a reaction because sometimes you may be sitting there all day just grinding it out, pouring your heart into something. And then I'll play it for somebody and I can just see it just go. Right it's like ahead. I'm so inside of it. That, yeah. And then other times it's it's just not overthinking it and like you're just looking for people to have fun yeah yeah and if you think about you know i think about when i was a kid the music i listened to and what like i was a huge michael jackson fan like the first tape i ever had was thriller yeah and obviously over time we've come to know that he was a great artist and those songs have withstood the test of time but if you look at the lyrics to a lot of that it may not be the most thought out but different things make different songs great i think right. and sometimes not, it is the yeah. lyric first he's not leonard cohen right and it's a totally different thing and they're both great but for different reasons yeah jackson was really rich and leonard cohen wasn't as rich <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you know when you've got you talk about especially in country music when you got the idea yeah what do you mean so i know for me like i can come sit here all day and come up with different melodies and music things that probably sound like hits but if i don't have the lyric to go with that it's not gonna connect so the hardest part at least for me is is finding that unique lyrical idea yeah um but once i have that then uh, how do you know you have it driving down the road you go hold up yeah i mean i just i keep in my phone notes just titles and phrases and just something somebody says or like from a movie or tv show and I don't always know I have it. And like yeah. some days I'll look at those lists of whatever there is and it, they all look terrible to me. <laughs> but then the way I write songs too, I write by myself, but I write a lot with other people too. So I may say something to somebody that I'm like, I wrote this down and I think it could be something. And you may say it to someone, they're like, I don't get it. Or the next day you'll say the exact same thing to somebody else. And they're like, oh man, I know what we could do with that. Yeah. So it's a lot of times it's just the words, the way a word looks. I'll like envision it like if it was on the back of an album, like, oh, that makes me. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah, there's something. And it's just enough to keep the interest to like, let's try to write something to it because I don't want to waste that. I'll be back with the rest of my interview and concert with Luke Laird in just a moment. We're back with one of the best segments, in my opinion, on the Building a Story Brand podcast. It's Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan. Hi, Kula. Hey, Don. Good to have you back. Thank you. What is today's marketing myth that we have to bust? 
Marketing is expensive. But marketing is expensive. Super Bowl ads cost a lot of money, Cool, and they're the only thing that's effective. Wrong. Wrong? I disagree. <laughs> what do you mean? What we found with the clients that we've worked with at StoryBand is that most of them are wasting enormous amounts of money yep. on marketing, and we think this is wrong. I do. One client in particular that I worked with on a series of coaching calls spent $10,000 creating the sales video that she was using to try to convert people into paying customers. That video converted maybe four people in the course of four months. She went through StoryBrand, clarified her message, created a video using that message, and converted 40 people in How the first the week. S- 40 people in a week. Mm-hmm. $10,000 for the first video and 40 people the first. Do you know how much the second video cost her? I want to say she did it in her house. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. That's usually the story. Yeah. Why? She was and, so desperate for a message that actually worked. Yeah. And the, the whole thing is like, here's the deal. Here's why this is a waste of money. It's a waste of money because we go to a designer or a graphic artist, and God bless them. They're awesome. They want to help our company grow. They're super beautiful talented. people. They're super talented. And they have a degree in design. People don't buy products because of design. They buy products because they read words or heard words that make them want to buy those products. So if we don't study the words that they need to read and our designer doesn't study the words that they need to read, nobody making this marketing collateral has actually studied the words that will get somebody to buy something. Therefore, most marketing is a ripoff. That's right. Because it's like you're screaming just gibberish through um, oh, it drives me microphone. Crazy. You see it all over the place and it drives me nuts. Cool. Thanks so much. This is the big problem that most companies have. They're spending way too much money on marketing. It's the part that Breaks my heart the most. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I was just in Phoenix, and I gave a talk. I gave a keynote, and there was a line of people standing afterwards, and somebody waited in line, maybe a third or fourth person in line. And they came to me and said, you know, Don, we are a, a medical concierge company. I, I actually didn't talk to him long enough to find out exactly what that meant, but they do concierge medical service. He had done $900,000 for three years running, bought the StoryBrand online course, clarified his message, and did $2.3 the following Dang. year. Dang. $2.3 And the difference was he was throwing money at marketing before had a bunch of pretty websites, all that kind of stuff, with a message that doesn't couldn't sell anything to anybody. Clarified that message. It's all about the message, right? Right. And right. so that's how he scaled his company. And you can do the same thing. I don't want anybody listening to this podcast to waste any more money on marketing. There are five things that I do year after year to execute my clear message. Once I have a clear message, there are five things that I do year after year to execute that message. And we took this company from a quarter million to 36 that's what we did last year. And this year we'll go to either six or seven million. You and I are both hoping for seven million. But the only way I'm going to do it is to do these exact same five things over and over. These things are not expensive. And if you're not doing these five things, I don't think you have an effective marketing plan. Go to marketingmoneypit.com. Go to marketingmoneypit.com where I've got three videos that explain what these five things are and how you can do them. I'm giving it all away. It's at marketingmoneypit.com. Kula, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Can you walk us through, like using your guitar sure. here in the studio, can you walk us through, I thought this, and then came down, and then I thought this, and then, you know, I mean, give us one that we'll know. And Well, okay, this is one that I do, you know, if you know any country music in the last five years, that this song has definitely been played, but it's funny the way songs come about, because, like I said, sometimes it's like this idea you've been thinking about, or, or you went through something hard, or you went to a friend's funeral, and yeah. and then other times it's uh, it's literally <laughs> it's complete opposite. Yeah. So and I and I love all like I said I love the sad songs, the happy ones, and the 
just all of them. But on this particular day, I was writing um, with two good friends of mine, Barry Dean and Natalie Hemby. And um, Natalie came in, and she was telling us this story about... So Natalie and I had written a song for Miranda Lambert that was on her a couple albums ago. It was a song called Fine Tune. Well, her publisher came in one day, and he goes, Hey, what, what was that song I kind of heard through the wall? Something about a pontoon? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the way you hear things. So Natalie's telling us this story, and we were just dying laughing. And we're like Barry and I looked at each other, and we knew I'm like we got to write some, a, we got to write yeah, a song. Pontoon. One of us like we got to write a song called Pontoon. And Natalie's yeah. looking at us like, oh my gosh. And literally, it just started out with like just I was just kind of doing this little groove like. <laughs> I don't know. Just it just had kind of a little bit of a. Con- it feels like a pontoon boat. It feels yeah, it like a pontoon. It's like you're, you know, kind of summer. You know, your drunk uncles out there just <laughs> hanging out. His like guts hanging out over his shorts. Um, so we started barbecue at, pit. Yeah, I looking mean, kind of dangerous. The whole over there deal. In the corner. And we're like, we just got to paint this picture. And 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 it, as you can hear in the lyric, we had so much fun doing it. It was yeah, like. Yeah. We're laughing the whole time. And it's one of those, as you're writing a song, if you're getting that that reaction in the room, it doesn't guarantee anything, but yeah. but you're getting a reaction or a response, and that's what you want. Like when that's I pitch good, my songs, first I want it to be where people are like a little bit, it's, yeah. it could be a little uncomfortable or a little just like, just get the reaction, not like, oh, this is nice, you know. So we knew when we wrote this that, you know, that some people were like, this is just dumb, quirky. Like a lot of artists would be like, I wouldn't say that. It's silly, you know. But then I was like, I really felt... It's not a song that even the artist who sings it would take seriously. It's a fun... Right, it's fun. What's amazing about it is it really takes you to a pontoon. Like, you you feel the way you feel on a pontoon boat. And and deep down, (laughs) and every person, like the demo that we played for, just... They're just like, oh, that's a, that is hilarious. And I felt like if this song got a chance on the radio, like if it didn't die too soon on the charts, that people would react. Because, I, I mean, I just think about where I grew up, and, like, I know my friends from high school would just be all about this song. Yeah. So, fortunately, it had the opportunity to get heard because Little Big Town recorded it. And um, But, yeah, we were just doing that little groove, and we said to Natalie, what would be the first thing you would say? You can edit this. But, no, we're um, not going to edit it. She was just like, I'd go back this bitch up into the water. <laughs> and, and we were just. Was she joking? Yes. I mean, but, but, but she sang it just like that. And we look at each other like, oh my, this is amazing. You got to finish it. We, it took us five minutes to get back on because we were laughing so hard. And we're like, we got to say it. And then you're like, well, they won't say that on the radio. What's, what rhymes, you know, hitch? And it's like, perfect. And so, oh, so the radio version is hitch. Back this hitch up into the water. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> and now, you, and now you got something. And now, I mean, it's, it may be my biggest hit I've ever had. Can you play, play, do a piece of it? Yeah, I'll do a little verse and chorus here. Like, yeah, back this hitch up into the water. Untie all the cables and rope. Step onto the astroturf. Get yourself a koozie, let's go. Mm. Well, who said anything about skiing? Floating is all I wanna do. You can climb the ladder, just don't rock the boat while I barbecue. 
on a pontoon Making waves and catching rays up on the roof Jumping off the back, don't act like you don't want to Party in slow motion, just out here in the open mm, Motorboating <laughs> so, and is I there mean, a day that goes by you don't hear your songs on the radio? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't. What, <laughs> you don't I'll, I'll, when you don't turn on yeah, your radio, I, was, I thought about saying that. I was like, that sounds very arrogant, no. but it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, I really do feel very fortunate that it's always surreal that I get to do this. Yeah. That's probably how you feel, you know, writing books because it's I haven't like, had twenty three number one anything. Yeah, but you <laughs> could you imagine writing twenty? I can't. I, that, I always say that about book writers. I can't imagine like I can't focus for that long. You know, <laughs> it's it's that's amazing. That seems a lot harder than this. So. You told a you told another story in Pittsburgh and uh, about. <laughs> Your truck broke down. You bought a new truck. You showed the up to a good, of a good country song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell um, okay, so yes, I uh, a few years ago, I was um, going out to North Carolina to write with Eric Church, and he's really one of the best artists in country music. Hmm. Um, one of the best writers has just a great live thing. So anyways, every time before he writes an album, he goes out, he has a cabin out in North Carolina, which is where he's from, and he'll have different co-writers of his come out for a couple days at a time and uh, write a song. So he invited me to come out there, and so I was going from Nashville out to North Carolina, past Asheville, and uh, I was driving my 2004 Nissan Frontier, which I really liked that truck, but... Yeah. My dream truck was always just a black Ford F-150. Yeah. So, and I, I knew I was going to buy that at some point. I didn't know it was going to be as soon as it was. But I get out about 50 miles into my trip, and the transmission on my Frontier starts just not doing good things. Yeah. And I'm not a mechanic. I'm not going to sit here and act like, well, this is exactly what was wrong. All I know is I couldn't go over 50 miles an hour. It would do that. I was like, oh, that's a sign from God that I need to get that F-150. So I called my wife and said, hey, I think now is when I need to get that truck. She goes, yeah, when, well, I mean, when you get back, we should go look. I'm like, no, I mean today. She's like, what? Well, I'm having issues out here on the interstate. <laughs> so she goes, okay, I'm going to call a couple dealerships in Knoxville. I'll call you back. So she calls, and my wife is way more business-minded, organized, all that than me. She calls me back. She goes, okay, I called these three different dealerships. You need to go to this place. I'm going to email you the Edmonds report. They have what you want. Don't pay more than this for it. So I go in there on a Monday. It's pouring rain. This guy walks out, has his hood up, and he's smoking a cigarette. And he puts it out. He's like, hey, how can I help you? I go, well, my wife called ahead. He's like, yeah, we got that black F-150 right there. And I was like, oh, that's, that looks like the one. He goes, well, do you want to test drive it? I was like, yeah, I guess I probably should. So I took it around the block, and it was pouring rain. And we got back, I, and he's telling me everything that it does, all these different features. I go, I honestly, I'm not trying to be rude, but I need to buy this right now. Yeah, because I'm get trying to get to Eric Church. I didn't say that, but so I buy this truck, get all of my junk out of my messy old Frontier, and put it in boxes that they've provided me with um, <laughs> at the dealership, and put it into the new truck. So I pull up to Eric's cabin, and he goes, "Man, nice truck." I go, "Yeah, I just bought it today." He goes, "Today." I was like, yeah, we really need to write a single. 
And like I referred to earlier, that's how you make money writing songs. So I, I was feeling. Well, I got to pay for this truck. I just bought this truck, and I really, yeah. And so he goes, "Well, man, I had this idea that I want to do today about like a a Civil War soldier who died, but he's writing a letter to his wife who's still alive." I was like, "Okay, we're not writing a single today. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to pay for that truck. <laughs> that's not going to do it. But I'll write it with you because I know if you don't write it with me, you'll write it with somebody else. You need so, a song about a jet ski. I mean, or yeah, ultralight." Yeah, but it just didn't work out that way. But then the next day we wrote a song, Give Me Back My Hometown, that ended up being a hit for him. So, Can you play a little bit of that? Yeah, I did. So it's like this. Damn, I used to love this view. I'd sit here and drink a few. Main Street in the high school. Lit up on Friday night. Down there it's another touchdown. And this year's team is stout I can hear them going crazy And up here so am I Think about you sitting there saying I hate this, I hate it If you couldn't stand living here Why'd you take it, take it, give Me back my This is my hometown. Wow. <laughs> you know, you're right about there's, You know, there's nothing really shallow about that song. No. We've all been right exactly. there. That's Pearland, Texas. I could probably name the girl. There were probably about five of them who, I, <laughs> who took my hometown. I mean, I picture in my mind every time my hometown when I'm singing yeah. that song. And he did the same with his, his girlfriend, too, so... And we're from two different parts of the country. Is that so. part of it? Is you just finding the common experience it that is. we all have? It is. That and nobody's I mean, put words to yet? Yeah, and it's just, I think that that's the most gratifying when you say something and you know exactly where you were in that moment, but then somebody else does too, and it was a totally different place. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just about that connection. Which song that you've written is kind of the most healing for you? I mean, the one that you just went, this really helped me process something I was going through. and Man. Have you written those? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Honestly, if some of those are haven't ever been recorded. Can, can you play any of it? Can you oh, talk sure. us yeah. through it? I'd love to hear yeah, it. Yeah, let me. I'll, I'm going to pull it up here on my phone because I don't even know the lyrics yet. But um, actually, Is this something you've been working on think, lately? Yeah, this is like a, a brand new thing that nobody's recorded except for me on my in my studio. Yeah, and so I was just sitting up in my writer room one morning and... Um, a lot of times that's when the most like personal stuff comes out and I was just literally thinking about my life and like getting to do what I love to do and then I think a lot of it was just now I have two young kids I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old and you start thinking about like what your dreams are as you grow up and then as you're getting older and that's where this idea came from there's a kid putting time on a baseball diamond he's gonna go pro there's a girl on stage with stars in her eyes, ribbons and bows. There's a new suit on Wall Street, gotta make it happen for the chance leaves. Get the girl, get the car, the money, yeah. And some of us just wanna wake up and know we can get another day. 
Work hard in a 40 hour week and get a break on a Saturday Ain't nothing wrong with shooting for the stars But there ain't nothing wrong with just looking at them Right before you lay down at night for a good night's sleep Seriously, what's a dream? It's hard to say Is it something we have? Or something we chase? Wow. I could I I think that might be another hit there. <laughs> Maybe someday. Are you um, the kind of writer who will continue to develop that? Or I, I heard a recent Malcolm Gladwell podcast where he talked about the difference between Picasso and Cezanne. Mm. And he contrasted that with Leonard Cohen writing uh, Hallelujah. You know, he wrote it, wrote it, wrote it. Four years later, it's finally on one of his records, and it's just terrible. Mm. And then he keeps writing, keeps writing. And pretty soon he's got 14 verses, and he wow. doesn't even know what the song is. And then somebody else records it. He faxes him 14 pages of lyrics, and this guy has <laughs> to pick the three verses that he wants to use. Wow. Then Jeff Buckley hears that. Jeff Buckley records it. Still nothing happens. Jeff Buckley sadly passes away, and then everybody mm-hmm. else starts recording it, and that's how that song became a hit. It's amazing. But it was 10 years of work. Yeah. Will you take a song and just keep... Or, or are you lightning? Cause yeah. He contrasts that with Picasso, who's sure. lightning in a bottle. Yeah, for me, it's it's not quite lightning. <laughs> it's slower, but... It's, it's fast. It's really hard for me to go back and rework stuff. I will do it, but for the most part, I'm like in the moment and... Even if that moment is like two days, but I don't typically go back and rewrite. I'd rather move on to a new song. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but for me, like, it's hard for me to stay. I don't know if it's inspired or, but yeah, I'm typically song and then on to the next. And I don't even a lot of times replay those songs a lot. That's why I still have to print lyrics out. It's like I'm done with it and then I move on to the next. Well, Luke, thanks. Oh, thanks for the work that no, you've been you, doing. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, I mean, I mean, thanks for taking us back to our hometown, reminding us yeah. of that girl who broke our heart. I don't know that you're doing a good service for the world or not, Wait but it minute. feels good in the yeah. moment. It feels good. It feels I know. Why does it better. feel so good to get be you know to hear heartbreak songs? It feels good to be on a pontoon too. That's so it, true. It, it's all part of it. Well, speaking of songs that make you happy <laughs> or glad, instead of songs about your ex who broke up with you, can you take us out on a, a, one more? I can do that. All right. Here we go. Early Monday morning till Friday at five. Man, I work, 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 but I don't climb, climb, climb. Boss man can shove out overtime up his can. All I want to do is put a drink in my hand. Fill it up, throw it down. I got a 40-hour week. Worth the trouble to drown, no need to complicate it. I'm a simple man. All you gotta do is put a drink in my hand. Right here. Yeah, that parking lot is muddy. Can't get to the door. I take my jacked up, drop it down in four by Chill down along that warm up the band. All you gotta do is put a drink in my hand. Fill it up, throw it down. I'm about to tear a new one in this old town. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm a rocket man. All you gotta do is put a drink in my hand. 
How fun was that? <laughs> <laughs> I loved. It. I love this pontoon story. That's like yeah. my favorite thing out there of just that whole the first line. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, I feel like such a geek. But when I saw him in Pittsburgh, uh-huh. I talked to my wife that night because we were, we were actually up there for a Steelers game, and my wife was home, and I called her. I said, "Yeah, you know, Steve did a show at the Hard Rock, and this guy Luke Lair was there." And she's like, oh, she's like, well, yeah, he wrote this and wrote that. And she's like, oh, you know, did you, was he good? I was like, this is weird, but I just want to be his friend. How do, how do I become this, that guy's friend? I really did. And I was like, babe, can you get to know his wife? And, like, get, like, <laughs> and now he's on the podcast. Yeah. Well, listen, if you are a creative person and you're like, hey, I want to turn my hobby into a fortune. Mm-hmm. I can't promise you that. But I did create something years ago. And JJ, you've used it a yeah. couple times. Yep. We, we call it the StoryBrand Productivity Schedule, for lack of a better name. And yeah. it's literally just one page that I fill out every working day. In fact, I filled it out 6.30 this morning. I was in the writing shed. I filled out this one piece of paper, and it gets my mind in order, focused, on mission, yep. and helps me filter out the stuff that doesn't matter that day, which is really hard for a creative person to yeah. do. So if you're trying to write a book or become a professional painter or become a professional artist, you know, the key is discipline. You got to wake up every day and you've got to put a little something on the plot. And the way I do that is I wake up every day and the first thing I do, I try to do it before I answer email, is I fill out the story brand productivity schedule. We've had it online for free for a long time. And every once in a while, we remember to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's got these religious users all over the world. Yeah. But we want to highlight it again today. If you want to turn your hobby into a profession, if you want to get better at it, go to buildingastorybrand.com slash productivity. That's buildingastorybrand.com slash productivity. You can print out for free this one-page planner, print out 50 of them, three-hole punch it, put it in a binder, that's what I do, and fill it out every single day. The seven or ten questions that productivity schedule asks you before you start your day will organize your mind. I promise. I've been doing it for years and I've written a bunch of best-selling books and built a business based on me organizing my mind every morning. So it can happen for you. Buildingastorybrand.com slash productivity is our gift to you. Now, if you write 24 number one country songs, you have to promise <laughs> that you'll come on the podcast because we did give you that for free. Yeah, yes. We gave yeah. you the schedule for free. Yeah, or at least rent a pontoon and take <laughs> a side on it. <laughs> I'll take yeah, that would be either easier. one, potato, tomato. <laughs> All right, buildingstorybrand.com slash productivity. Okay, next week on the podcast, we have the CEO from TED. Yes. That's TED Talks. Yeah. That's CEO, and he's going to shock you. Because he has built an amazing organization. It's really huge. It started and they handed it to him and he scaled it up. And you would expect this guy to be just an analytical tyrant of numbers and productivity. <laughs> and he's not. He's really a, a, just this most humble person. Yeah. And it was such a, a wonderful interview. He shares a lot of tips and strategies on giving a great talk. And if anybody knows how to give a great talk, it would be Chris Anderson. And he's got a book called TED Talks, the official TED Guide to public speaking. But this stuff translates to anybody having to give a meeting yeah. or even how to kind of position yourself as a leader. I loved this interview with Chris Anderson. In fact, to tease you so you'll listen next week, here's a little bit of my interview with Chris Anderson. Almost every speaker suffers from something that is called the curse of knowledge. Which yeah, is Lee LeFever coined you- that, right? Yeah, that's right. When you know something, you forget what it's like not to know it. And right. so you, you always make assumptions, you use jargon, or you, you just don't get why someone is puzzled because you, you've moved on. And so that is how many talks fail, just by 
not starting where the audience is and not using the audience's language, if you like, to build uh, to build a case or to explain an idea. All right, the CEO of TED next week. What's your favorite TED Talk, by the way? Do you have one? Uh, it would probably be Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah. His second talk. Yeah. And I talk about that, actually, in the interview with Chris, why I like that talk. There's that one. The talk with Nancy Duarte Amazing. on how to give a good speech mm-hmm. is one of the greatest speeches ever written, which is kind of ironic, right, that she's giving a speech about giving speeches. But it's fascinating. Nancy Duarte is a great one. What about you? I love Brene Brown. Yeah, um, of course. But there's yeah. actually this one. I don't remember the guy's name, but he talked about crows and how crows? smart like crows are. And it is fascinating. All right. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. I actually up. started watching crows after I would listen to this TED Talk. <laughs> it's research on crows. Yeah. I love the Reggie Watts one, too. Yes. Where he sort of makes fun of the way TED Talks often unfurl. <laughs> <laughs> like you, like you, you sort of start taking them seriously, and then you realize this whole thing is satire of a TED Talk. Yeah. And the fact that they could have him on laughing kind of at themselves is really brilliant, too. Reggie Watts, The One on Crows, Brene Brown, Nancy Duarte, Ken Robinson. That'll get you started. (laughs) That'll get you through the afternoon. Yeah, have you ever binged on TED Talks? You just watch them over and over? Yes, I've gone down that rabbit hole many times. (laughs) Me too. Okay, speaking of communicating clearly, JJ, (laughs) my book, Building a Story Brand, you can pre-order right now. It comes out October 10th. But building a story brand, clarify your message so customers listen, is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. And we are still running a special. The publisher is still able to do this. If you pre-order the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy books, and you forward your receipt to book at storybrand.com. That's book at storybrand.com. If you forward your receipt, you will get an advanced reader copy of the book right away. That means you forward your receipt. We send you a paperback of the book. It's the full book, the whole thing, bound and beautiful. In fact, there's only, I don't know how many thousands of these out there, but there's not that many. You get that book now, and October 10th, you get the hard copy of the book when it comes out. So you get two books for the price of one. It is an advanced reader special. That means it's a special for anybody who will pre-order the book. But usually you pre-order the book, you get something else, you got to wait for the book. This time you pre-order the book, you get the book. And then you get the book later. It's two books for the price of one. Wanted to make sure everybody knew about that. Go to Amazon. Go to Barnes & Noble. Find Building a Story Brand. That's the name of the book by Donald Miller. Order it and forward your receipt to book at storybrand.com. JJ, another fantastic episode. Yes. Of the, you know, we're coming up on like 52 here. I know. <laughs> we got to be like 47 or 48. We're going to do something special for that 52nd episode. Why 52? It's a year. That's crazy. It's it's insane. That. Wow. You and I have been doing this for a year. Oh, I love it. Well, I love it, and too. And many more years to come. I hope so. I hope we just get better and better. A lot of people don't realize that I do this in person, but JJ actually hides under the desk with a microphone and does this as a puppet. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> to keep ourselves entertained. Yeah. <laughs> we just have a puppet in the room. I ain't nobody's puppet. I ain't no puppet. I ain't no puppet. <laughs> music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.